If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of John. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there is a table of contents in the beginning. Uh, John is in what we call the New Testament. It's about two-thirds or so the way through. And we're going to be looking at uh, Christ's resurrection in John chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 to 18, but we'll be looking mainly at 11 to 18. This is my seventh Easter at Pine Grove. I'm very grateful for it. Um, last week, Pastor Mark preached and admonished us in the way of evangelism. And one of the things he said the following week is how good it is to preach in front of a people who wants to hear God's word as it is. How freeing that is for us. You make your preacher, if you want to know that. You make your preacher what you want him to be, or you get rid of him and find somebody who will be what you want to be. And so you help us to remain faithful and admonish you and exhort you and correct you and love you with God's word. And so good work, keep it up. Today we're looking at Mary Magdalene. Easter is a happy day. It didn't start that way, though. Here's a woman, as we'll see, rising before the sun, going to the tomb of her Lord to care for his dead body, and he's gone. The tomb is empty, and she wept and wept because she, I think, couldn't make sense of all that had just happened. Why did they kill him, but it wasn't enough just to kill him? Why would they take his body, too? So she was senseless. She was angry, upset, sad, and who can falter? Now, Jesus had clearly said that they, he would be crucified and rise on the third day. He told them that, but we can understand their unbelief. But as soon as Christ revealed himself to her, her weeping turned to an announcement that she had seen the Lord. Isn't that something? She had seen the Lord. Let me read these verses. We'll pray, and then I'd like to introduce you to Mary Magdalene. Here's John chapter 20, 1 to 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's the author of this letter, John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out of the with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on the, Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one by the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, help us to hate our double-mindedness, but to love your law. You and your word are a hiding place and a shield. Teach us to hope in your word. Uphold us according to your promise that we may live, and let us not be put to shame in our hope. Hold us up, even now. Give us attentiveness to your word. Help us to tremble for fear of you and be afraid of your judgments, for your word is holy and right. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapters 18 and 19 deal with Jesus' arrest, betrayal, betrayal arrest, um, torture, and execution. At the end of chapter 19, Jesus is buried in a garden in a tomb. And those who saw him last on the cross and who followed him in the tomb, uh, these women, particularly here, Mary Magdalene, go back on the third day, buried on a Friday. Saturday was Sabbath, so that we're not allowed to go. So first thing Sunday morning, they go to the tomb, Mary Magdalene particularly. Tomb's empty. They run to get Peter and John. Peter and John were two of Jesus' disciples who had followed Jesus for three years of his life. They go. They see what Mary and these others had seen. And then in verse 10, I don't know if you are struck by it, they just go home. They can't be bothered to deal with it. They, they just go home. But not Mary. She stays there weeping. And two angels appear and ask her why she's weeping. Then, as she said to Peter and James, it, they've taken him, and I don't know where. Then something behind her, either maybe the expression on the angel's face or a noise, don't know, she immediately turns and sees Jesus, but not knowing it's him. Thinking him just to be the gardener, thinking maybe he's the one who took him, asks the same question, they've taken him. Do you know where he is? I'll, I'll take him. And he says the same thing. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom, whom are you seeking? Jesus says one word that brings sight to the blind New life to the dead, Mary. She immediately recognized him for who he is. He's risen. Rabboni, Master, Lord. And then he tells her, go. You're my first evangelist. You're my first preacher. Go and tell my disciples, 
I'm going to my father and your father. I'm going to my God and your God. And she does. And she does. Now, of course, some of you are here and you're not regularly here and maybe you're not regularly in church and you've heard this before and uh, you, you kind of sort of believe, maybe not, maybe you're just a scoffer and think this is all hooey. Does this read like hooey? Does this read like a myth? Doesn't this read like this could have happened? Maybe the angels are a little bit of struggle for you, but couldn't this just read like, who would make this up? Who would make this up? This doesn't read like a fantastical, mythical, religious creation of men. This, this just reads like this happened. We have an eyewitness to it who wrote this account. While those who were still alive saw these things, nothing in Jewish or Roman literature questions it at all. It just reads like it happened. And I think the simplest explanation is it happened. So what I want to do is consider Mary. Consider several things about her. First, her weeping. That's a very tender scene, isn't it? Mary stood weeping. You ever been around somebody who's weeping inconsolably, uncontrollably? Like, aren't in control of their sobs? Trying for breath. That's Mary here. We don't have much background about Mary. She's only mentioned in the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection, but in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, we read that she was a woman who was bound with demons, and Jesus freed her from seven demons. So she loved him. She was set free from incredible darkness and destruction and bondage that probably manifested itself in all kinds of sinful, wicked behaviors. He freed her from it, cleaned her up, gave her new life. And so she loved him. And she stands there weeping, Velma Fetzer's an elderly woman in our church, and I go to visit her sometimes in the nursing home, and she sometimes tells me the same story again. And I think it's after her husband died, she was meeting with her pastor, and she said to her pastor, I'm, I'm going to cry. And he said, just go on, have a good cry. And so we take weeping in Christianity pretty serious. It's a good thing, especially in this kind of a circumstance. It wasn't enough that they did what they did to him. They hated him so much they had to desecrate his grave and steal his dead body. She's weeping over the circumstances. She's weeping out of love for her Lord, over the loss, over the sin, over the wickedness in the world. They would do such a thing. Who could understand this? And who doesn't relate to her and sometimes feel the need to weep over the condition of our lives? Condition of the thoughts that go through our heads how we treat others, how others treat us, over the condition of our world. But this weeping has an answer. Psalm 34, 18, God is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may last for a night. Weeping is a short duration, but joy comes in the morning. So Mary's joy was coming. In fact, Mary's joy was right there before her, but she didn't recognize it. And so the answer given her that changes her 
mourning into rejoicing or tears into joy is this one word that the risen Jesus Christ, Lord over all, says, Mary. Isn't that so simple? Isn't that just like Jesus throughout the Bible? Now, we have noted that the disciples didn't stay. They just went home. (laughs) They just went back to their home. So one of the purposes of pointing out Mary here is to shame the disciples and their lack of love and their lack of devotion and their lack of care. So the lesson here is be like Mary. Be that devoted to Jesus. So Mary has such love and devotion that she stood weeping. She's seeking. She's waiting. She wants to figure this out. And she is rewarded, isn't she? Isn't she's the first one to see Jesus raised from the dead? And so, of course, do we have that kind of love and devotion for Christ? Do we look for that reward? But notice the details here. The angels are sent, but she barely takes notice of them. I don't know about you, but if I saw two angels sitting in an empty tomb, I'd probably be a bit more intrigued than Mary is. She just immediately turns away from them. She knows they're angels. Immediately she turns away from them. They just appeared suddenly, but immediately she turns away from them. And then Christ himself comes, and it's noted that She did not know that it was Jesus. How does John know that Mary didn't know that that was Jesus? Well, because she told him. I bet you Jesus told him. But he is just supposed to be the gardener. One of the realities that we love about Jesus is that he is humble. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He didn't come as an exalted, reigning, highfalutin Lord. He came as a slave. And even after his resurrection, he appears to be mistaken for a gardener. This is what Christ is like. Mary is catalyzing from recognizing him. Mary is kept from recognizing him. Because of her weakness, because of her unbelief, because of sin, you and I, like Mary, are completely dependent on God to even know Jesus, even right after he's been resurrected. We can't see because we won't see. You ever do that in your life? There's something that you're seeing, but you don't want to see it, so you, so you won't see it. Mary is dead in sin. Mary is blind. She sees, but she can't see. And with one word, her name, he gives her sight. He gives her life. Jesus has done this before, hasn't he? Talitha Kumi. I tell you, little girl, come out. Lazarus, come forth. Mary, come forth. Here's what John Calvin says. The voice of the shepherd therefore enters into Mary's heart, opens her eyes, arouses all her senses, senses, and affects her in such a manner that she immediately surrenders herself to Christ. Thus, in Mary, we have a lively image of our calling. 
For the only way in which we are admitted to the true knowledge of Christ is when he first knows us. And then familiarity invites us to himself, not by that ordinary voice which sounds indiscriminately in the ears of all, but by that voice with which he is specially called sheep, which the Father has given to him. So Mary's tears are stilled, her eyes dry, her frightened, angry, discouraged heart is changed to joy, to hope. No more questions, no more grief. He is risen. And so brothers and sisters, in your grieves and sorrows, in your places of unbelief, the hope is that Christ has been raised. That's it. In all of the difficulties with which you have, in all of the great disappointments in your life, in the wreckage of your marriage, in the waywardness of your children, and the disease of your body, and the disturbing stuff happening in the world, he is risen. Mary's response to this is Rabboni. Now, in your translation, it says, which means teacher with a capital T. When you hear the word teacher, what do you see? What do you think of? I think of Miss Babcock in third grade. And every Friday, she would dress down and wear leather Nikes because we were going to play. It doesn't quite give the picture of what this word means here. This means more master. It's a, it's a very, it's a strong word of submission. It's a, you're my Lord, I'll follow you, I'll do what you say, I have only allegiance for you. You would only call one person this. Terry Hansen in the office calls me boss, and she calls Jeff boss, and she calls Mark boss, and she'll call anybody else boss, which means I ain't boss, right? But Mary's only got one Rabboni. Mary's only got one master. She's only got one Lord. It's a, it's a term of utter respect, submission, and obedience. That is, Mary is confessing Jesus is Lord. This is what it means to be a Christian if you're unaware. She is confessing that Jesus, who she saw beaten, she saw whipped, she saw nailed to a cross, she saw dead, she saw buried, she now sees alive, and she is giving all of her love and obedience and allegiance to him only. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, let me illustrate this for you in something that you'll probably think uncomfortable. I asked my wife if I could talk about this, and she said, briefly. <laughs> okay, how do the angels in Jesus first refer to Mary? Not by her name, by her sex. Woman. When we confess that Jesus is Rabboni, Jesus is Master, Jesus is Lord, we are confessing that everything that he has given us in his word is good and we will never be ashamed of it. That's what Mary's saying here. And where is the place where Christians are most ashamed of God's word today? Sexuality, right? This is where the world pushes on us. This is where we censor ourselves. The world hates that God made us male and female, and the world celebrates French teachers who drag and dress and dance erotically in front of a class, 
or in front of the student body in a school in Madison, outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Right? Our world demands that we celebrate all of this sexual perversity, that you have to ask somebody what their pronouns are before you can address him, her, it, they, z. But Christians are a part of this because you feel the discomfort of confessing her sex. When's the last time you just called somebody woman? Why not? It's totally unacceptable today. So we censor ourselves. Why is this so sensitive? Because she was named by Adam. Because a man gave woman her name. (laughs) He named her. In fact, she was made for him by God. And we hate this in our day. So I'm not going to pound you over the head about it, but I want it to be real to you what she means by this word Rabboni. She means anything that you have put in your word, I love. And I will not be ashamed of. And I will not censor myself over. Because it's your word. And you're the good teacher. You're the one who laid down your life for me. You're the one raised to indestructible life. Your word is true and pure. And Christians hate it. Go to any other church and see if you'll ever hear anything like this. Why won't you? Because we're ashamed of it. But notice how Christ responds to Mary's confession. Do not cling to me, verse 17. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. I don't have time to do not cling to me. I said, I don't really know what's going on there. (laughs) How's that for a pastor? Whatever it is, he is going to ascend bodily before the Father and he has a job for his disciples to go and announce this news. But notice how he says it. Go tell them, I am going to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. What we see there is Christ's relationship to the Father is unlike anybody else. Christ is the eternal Son of God. He is in his very being, in his essence, God. And he has eternally been the son of the Father. We're not. The cross that paid the debt for our sin, Christ, because of Christ's work on the cross that paid the debt for our sin, because of his resurrection where we now are given his righteousness, his Father is now our Father. His God is is now our God. In the Bible, we call this adoption. We have people in our church who have adopted other children. We have people in our church who work with others' children in the foster care system. It's a really wonderful ministry. It's incredible. Where we take responsibility, fatherly, motherly responsibility for somebody who is not our biological child, but we treat them just as if they were. And they get all of the rights and all of the inheritances of a biological child. In fact, it's even a bit more wonderful, isn't it? 
You get to pick that child. It, you set your love upon him or her in a very unique and special way. This is what's happening here. That God, though we were his enemies, that God, though we were dead in sin, dead to him, hating him, has given us such a change that we are no longer enemies. We're not even just friends. We're adopted sons. And we can call him father. And that is only through Christ. You're not this by nature. You're not this by what you do. You're only this by what Christ has done. That's the gospel. It's complete restoration to our creator. You do know that you were created, right? You do know that you have an eternal soul, right? And you do know that after death, you will give an account to him, right? And you do know that the only way to acceptance into his kingdom is through his son, right? And I don't just mean that you pray a prayer or that you come to church somewhat or that you kind of half-heartedly put on your census form that you're a Christian. I mean that you see him as your master, as your Lord, as your life, as your love, as your everything. We get to call God Father. We get to call him Father. Isn't that wonderful? And then notice the high calling with which Mary is sent. Go and tell him. She is given the charge to go and tell Jesus' brothers the news, his disciples. Pastor Mark said last week that this is the calling of every Christian. Every Christian is a one sent by Christ who has all authority to go and announce the news that Jesus has risen from the dead. Let me tell you, there are some people doing this here. Mike Lakowski is somewhat newer here, and he came, I think, not being a Christian. He's become a Christian, and now he's meeting with other men. That's something. I'm doing, my wife and I are doing premarital counsel, counseling for a couple, three couples getting married. One of them, Aaron, has been meeting regularly with Brittany, running. Brittany and Aaron are developing a relationship and helping encourage each other in Christ. An older woman, kind of Brittany, sorry. She's not older. She's older than Aaron. And she's a couple of years ahead of Aaron in marriage. And how many kids now? Three? Yeah. This is what a Christian does. This is what disciples do. They help other people follow Jesus. This is what parents do with their kids. This is the one thing we want for our children. They have souls. They're going to go on forever. We want to raise them in such a way that they love Jesus, that they follow him, that they, like Mary, call him Lord. This is why you pray for your neighbors, your coworkers. This is why you invite them to church. This is what we are as Christians. Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter 3 that we are God's holy nation. We are his chosen possession. Why? so that we may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I exist with this great purpose. So this world is full of purposelessness. There's no purpose anymore because we're nothing but matter. We're the result of evolutionary change over time. There's, there's no soul. There's no eternity. There's no God. All you see is all you get. So there's no reason to live. Except that 
All of that is hui. The truth is you were created by God in his image. There is redemption through the blood, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of the Son of God. There is reconciliation to him by faith, adoption as sons. And there is participation with him in helping other people to know that Jesus Christ has been raised. It's purpose. It's meaning. It's worth. And so what are you doing sitting here? What are you doing watching hours of mindless TV? What are you... What are you doing showing more passion for what you heard Tucker say than what Jesus has said? Right? Because he's risen. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to have the faith and be like Mary. She's weak. She's weeping. She's lost. But she hears her Savior call. And so would you call some internally? Would you call some by name to yourself? Would you, the good shepherd, call them by name that they would come out and follow you? God, would you give us faith and love and courage to be sent? Help us see that Mary is nothing special. She's, she's not crazy gifted. She is not some high church person. She's just a, a woman She's just called and loved by you, and she has the faith to go and announce. Would you help us to be like that? Father, would we love your son? Would we call him master so that we may be called your sons? Would we call him Lord so that we may be called your friends? So God help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Visitors, thank you for coming. Here's the charge. At the end of the service, we give you a charge, something we hope you pay attention to, that the Spirit puts on your conscience to live out. The charge is that Christ is risen, and we have been raised with Christ. And we have faith, and so are to seek the things that are above. That doesn't mean that we don't live here. We don't live here with these people in these bodies. Is that It means that we try to do for them what Jesus has done for us, and we try to serve each other. And so that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand. So set your mind then on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.